Hey there, thanks for joining our church family at the cross. We pray that this message speaks to your soul and brings you many blessings. We want to take a second and make sure you stay up to date on all things the cross. So please head over to our website, thecross.family. Here is where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our ministries, and get plugged in. Okay, here's the latest message from the cross church. So we are jumping into, I believe it is our fourth sermon in the book of Acts, um, as we've heard, there's many, many books in this, in this amazing series, but we are doing eight sessions. So it has been quite the task. It has been quite difficult to figure out what it is we are going to take out of this incredible book and preach it. But today I am really excited to tell you that we are going to be getting a front row seat to one of the most incredible, influential characters in all of Scripture, um, you hear me say this all the time on Sunday mornings. I often say, this is what Paul says, or let's go and check out what Paul says. Well, you are going to see who Paul is today. Um, this is sort of the prequel, if you will. We are going to see where Paul comes from. Paul was actually Saul, and uh, God rescues him in a powerful, magnificent way. And this is what we are going to see in the book of Acts today. Last week, uh, Chris spoke very powerfully about Stephen. And we saw how Stephen was actually the first martyr. Stephen gets stoned. Not California stoned like Chris, but a different stoning. And, uh, and uh, we see Saul, this Pharisee, right there in the middle of, this, uh, of all the proceedings. And Saul is a bad guy. He is not a good person. His heart is hardened. He is on a mission. He wants to destroy the Christian church. He makes no bones about it. And we are going to see what happens to him today. But let me say this before we jump into this. And I'm going to title this message today, The Four Stages of Transformation. Um, we've heard of the five stages of grief. This is the four stages of transformation. And we're going to see exactly how God moves in Saul's life to get Saul into the place where he needs to be. But I want to encourage you with a couple of things before we jump into this. And the first one is this, let's not ever give up. And I said it a little bit in my prayer today. I know that as we get older, uh, we tend to sort of let go of the idea that certain things are possible in our lives, right? When I was younger, I believed that anything was possible, and then life happens, and you very quickly realize, well, maybe not everything is possible. And if we're not careful, we very quickly find ourselves in a place in life where we now are accepting certain things as truth in our lives, which do not need to remain. They do not need to stay. The Christian walk and the Christian faith, this is not a history lesson on a Sunday, but this is life transformation. This is supernatural power through the Holy Spirit. And if you find yourself in a ditch, if you find yourself in a place where you should not be, I believe and God believes that change is possible in your life. And that is what we're going to look at today. Um, this church is very literally the purpose of this church, the vision of this church, the mission of this church is to create a space where life transformation can happen for you, no matter who you are or no matter where you are. Maybe you're in this place today and you can't even believe the fact that you're in here. 
Um, you were cursing at Christians a week ago. Today you find yourself in a church and you're like, holy cow, why am I even in this place? Maybe that's you. Maybe you're somebody that's been a Christian your whole life. It does not matter who you are. Transformation is always a part of the Christian life. And we believe that there is a space for you within this church where you can take those next steps in your transformation process. So let's pick up the story here. It's Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Uh, as we just said, Stephen has just been martyred. He's just been killed. And we pick up the story in Acts 8, 1 to 3. And it says this, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. You know, I, I think if we were to be honest and if we were to be truthful to ourselves, we would very quickly realize that the Christian life is not necessarily an easy life. You know, sometimes you'll watch some of these Christian movies that they make and, uh, you know, the guy is struggling with every area in his life and then he has an encounter with Jesus and he marries the dream girl. Uh, you know, he wins the lottery. Every single thing just goes right. He never gets a flat tire. Everything is just perfect from that day onwards. I want to say to you this morning that at times when we actually are called into the Christian faith, that's not the start of an easy life. That's the start of a lot of troubles at times. But even if the fire comes, even if the storm comes, our God is with us in the midst of the storm and in the midst of the fire. And we see this in the life of the church over and over and over again. As I was reading this portion in the book of Acts where um, Stephen sort of gets martyred where he dies. You know, right before this, we were speaking about how the uh, apostles and the disciples were waiting and how the Holy Spirit came and then they were speaking in different tongues and you just, it just feels like the church hits its stride. It's like victory after victory after victory and amazing things are happening and miracles are happening and, the, and thousands are added to the church's number daily and all of a sudden, just when it feels like everything is amazing, Stephen dies. He is murdered, and now Saul is on the rampage trying to end the church. And you can't help but feel in this moment that maybe there's some people at this point that go, I didn't sign up for this. The miracles and the speaking in different languages and the breaking bread together and the awesome atrium, that was amazing. <laughs> I did not sign up for get murdered. Are you kidding me? Where's that in the fine print of this document? But we see this time and time again. When it feels and looks at its darkest, that is when God moves in his most powerful way. So here's this man, Saul, who is making it his absolute mission to destroy the church. Let's keep on reading here. Acts 9, verses 1 to 2. 
Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Saul is a Pharisee on a mission. He has now taken this thing to the highest office he can take it. He wants full permission. He wants the full go-ahead to move forward and to absolutely finish and end and persecute the church. This powerful man is on a mission. But I want to tell you one thing. You better be very careful who you pick a fight with. And picking a fight with God is a bad, bad, bad decision. And we're going to see in a couple of minutes here what happens to Saul. So he decides that he is going to go to Damascus and he is on his way to put the final nail in the church's coffin. He is on a mission. So this is what happens. Acts 9, verses 3 to 6. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do next. Pause movie. Um, unbelievable moments that we see uh, where Saul is on his way to persecute and to destroy the church, and Jesus meets Paul face to face on the road to Damascus, and he knocks him full-blown off of his horse. I heard a preacher say once that every person needs to be knocked off of their horses at some point or another by Jesus, right? At some point, we need to see the light. And uh, as I look at this amazing moment, there's a couple of things that stand out to me that is just so magnificent and so beautiful. The first thing that just sort of grabs my attention is the fact that the same light that knocks Paul off his horse is easily the same light that could finish Saul. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Isn't it interesting that Jesus does not make a difference between his church and himself? Isn't it interesting that Jesus refers to anybody that would come against the church as if they are coming against him personally? You see, Jesus is not the kind of leader that separates himself from his followers, but we are one. We are in unity. So if you pick a fight with the church, I'm telling you now you're picking a fight with Christ. So you better be careful who you're picking a fight with. But what struck me as I read this portion of Scripture was just God's amazing grace and God's amazing love again. I think if we are not careful in church, we can start to overlook how powerful God's love and how powerful God's grace is. I had to take the dog for a walk the other night, and... Uh, I was mumbling and grumbling and moaning because I'm just such a servant at heart. So, uh, you know, I took the dog and the dog was biting me and the leash and I kicked the dog three times and it submitted and just, just kidding, didn't kick the dog. Uh, 
started taking the dog for a walk and man, I'm, I'm busy walking this dog. And at first I'm sort of mumbling and grumbling a little bit to myself. I'm like, why do I have to do this job? And then I just feel this crispy, cool Florida breeze, right? In October. And I'm like, wow, isn't that beautiful? And here I am and I'm taking a walk and the stars are in the sky and it's just beautiful and it's quiet in my neighborhood. And all of a sudden, as I'm walking this dog, I'm taken back to a time where I lived in South Africa and I could not take walks at night. It was too dangerous. Uh, you lived in your house behind a big gate in a house with a security system with burglar bars on windows. Uh, you did not go for long walks with your dog on Saturday nights with a cool breeze in your neighborhood. It's just not what you did. And immediately I was reminded of the blessing I have being in this great place. Immediately I was reminded of how I have gotten so used to the blessing. I've gotten so used to the favor on my life that now I'm actually overlooking it. Now I'm even complaining about it. Can you believe that? And I think if we're not careful in church, the beautiful thing we have is we have the absolute luxury of hearing about God's grace, hearing about God's love, and hearing about God's mercy every single Sunday. But if we're not careful, we sort of become numb to it, and we sort of lose respect for it, and we lose perspective on how great this love of God really is, right? Here is a man that deserves nothing but death. Chris very beautifully uh, articulated last week that when Stephen goes to heaven after he gets persecuted, Jesus is actually standing waiting for Stephen, right? It's this beautiful picture where one of God's sons is coming home and there is Jesus welcoming Stephen back into paradise, back to where he needs to be with him. This man, Saul, is the man that stood over Stephen's dead body and was happy and was filled with joy when this happens. Now Jesus stands above Paul's body, right here in the road, right? There's, a, there's this case right now in the media, and it's all over the place, and it's about a beautiful young girl that was slain, and there's a man on the go and all this stuff. And as a father with daughters, you know, you kind of start to put yourself in certain positions, which you probably should not, but you can't help but think about certain scenarios and certain things. And then you start to ask yourself, what would you do to such and such a person if you found them? And then you go, you're a pastor, you should probably pray for them. But then you go, I probably would not pray for them. Um, you have all kinds of thoughts going on. But I want you to think about this. Saul murders one of Christ's sons. And Jesus' response is not to murder Saul, but his response is to adopt him into the family. <laughs> that is scandalous. That doesn't make sense. It blows my mind. And if any one of us had to do that, imagine for a minute somebody murdered your child and your response was not for them, kill them, murder them, send them to death row, but your response is, I want you to move into the house and take their bedroom. What? <laughs> I would not look at a person like that and go, wow, they're so filled with the Holy Spirit. I would be enraged and I would be angry, right? God's grace and God's love is scandalous. It is beautiful. It is incredible. And I want to say to you today that you cannot out-sin God's grace. 
I don't know what you've done in your life. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know how you feel today. Maybe you're at the end of your rope. Maybe you feel like there's just no way for you, but His grace is too big. His love is too big and He will find you and He has the ability to rescue you. This man is trying to kill Christ and his response is, I want to invite you into the family, right? Other thing that just sort of, blows my mind as I read the story is very often when we think of repentance, we think of these beautiful moments where people have a change of heart, so to speak. They are on the wrong way and then they have this amazing epiphany or they have a change of heart and then they go, I've got to get myself into church. I need to go seek after Jesus. I want to tell you that in this moment, Paul doesn't have a change of heart and goes and seeks after Christ. Jesus finds him. He finds him on his way to destroying the church. And in that finding, in that redemption, in that rescue, now Christ changes hearts. You see, he finds us. He rescues us. It is something supernatural that happens. I think about my own story, and uh, I was not raised in a religious household. <laughs> I was raised in a very free household, um, and I was 18 years old. I had just matriculated, matriculated as in I'm done with high school. And in South Africa, like that's the December is when you matriculate and then you go on a big fat party. You go to the beach. It's like our summertime. I know everything is uh, turned around over there, but I'll never forget. It was New Year's Eve and I was having the time of my life and nothing about me as an 18 year old on a beach at 12 o'clock at night surrounded by girls in bikinis and alcohol, nothing about me at that moment was like, you know what? I really should look into Jesus and the church. Like I'm really, really that sort of where my attention is right now. And I'll never forget, I sat there on that beach. Nothing could be further from my mind, was not anywhere near anything that was godly. And it was that, that classic New Year's countdown, turn nine, and I'm sitting there and, you know, I'm doing all kinds of things I shouldn't do. And in a moment, I just experience this emptiness. It's like a dark hole that opens up in front of me. And I'm just like, man, hang on, stop the bus, stop the clock on this thing. If this is going to be my life for the next 80 years, I want no part of it. There has to be more. There has to be more than I can feel, smell, and touch. There's got to be more to this life than just this that I'm experiencing right now. And it's in that moment that he found me on that beach and he knocked me off of my horse and he said, hey, I'm inviting you into something bigger, into something greater. I'm inviting you into your redemption story. That is how he will find us. And church, it sort of just, again, for me, stresses the point that it is important that we are praying for people. Redemption is a supernatural thing. It is when He saves us, when He finds us, when He rescues us. It's supernatural. It's Him coming in and doing what we cannot do for ourselves. The first stage of transformation is the supernatural encounter filled with grace. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. But He comes and finds us. Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 9 if you are in a Bible study, you should know this one. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. 
I know that's tough to understand. It is difficult for us to grasp this in 2021 because we are all DIYers. You cannot Pinterest salvation, okay? Um, And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Well, there's one who can boast, and he is Christ. But no one else can. Jesus finds us, and he rescues us. So, I know you're a practical person just like me. So the question is, okay, so what is my part in this? What can I do? What is my role? Is there anything I can do? And I believe that Saul does one thing in this encounter that impresses me. And it's this. In verse 5, after he's been knocked off his horse, he asks the question, who are you, Lord? This is a guy that knows Scripture better than any one of us will ever know Scripture. This is a guy that is filled with all kinds of pride. This is a guy that has all kinds of knowledge. But in the moment Jesus reaches out to Saul, he is at least, if nothing else, open enough to ask the question, who are you? Or at least he's open enough to go, I am open to the truth. I think for many of us, when we think about transformation or when we think about living the life God has called us to live, often we have this idea of we need to have all the answers to all of life's questions. I have come to realize in my life that most often that next step in your journey has nothing to do with the answer. It's got everything to do with asking the right questions. Let us remain open to the truth. Let us remain pliable. If you are in here today and maybe you don't believe in Jesus and maybe you won't when we're done with a sermon, the only thing I ask of you is let us remain open to the God of heaven and earth to come and reveal himself to us because I believe that he will. All right, so let's keep on reading here. And uh, Saul's on his way. He gets knocked off his horse. He gets told to go to a house. Um, And this is where things get very, very interesting. Um, And this is where the story takes a turn that I don't quite understand, but we will find understanding together, you and me, as we travel. So Acts 9 verses 7, it says this, The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. (laughs) Isn't that great? So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. This is just simple math. You want to take on the church, I remove food from your life. That's the great tragedy here. Not that he couldn't see, it's that he wasn't eating. Uh, In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask, isn't that great too, Straight Street? (laughs) It was crooked, it's straight now, baby. Uh, And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered. I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call your name. You know the one thing you don't see in Scripture very often? (laughs) You don't see this very often. 
You don't often see in Scripture the Lord speak to somebody and the person respond with, you know, Lord, that sounds great. Yeah, I've, got, I've literally got no excuses. I've got no thoughts on this matter. I will immediately go and do what you're asking me to do. Sounds great. I feel like God would actually go, hang on, did you hear me the first time? Uh, right? We just see this over and over again. And in this moment, as I was reading this, I, uh, I thought about Jonah and how he did not want to go to Nineveh when God calls him to go to the people he's asking to rescue. I've been taught from a young age, or let me refrain, maybe it's not so much that I was taught, maybe this is just laziness and my ability to figure things out. Work smarter, not harder. Have you ever heard that expression? I believe I heard that the first time on an episode of DuckTales, but, um, but it makes sense, doesn't it? It's, it's about working smarter, not working harder. If you can get the same result quicker and easier, why not go that route? Why on earth would you just put yourself in a position where you are making stuff more difficult for yourself? Now, I say all this to say this. Jesus apparently has never heard the phrase, work smarter, not harder. And I'll tell you why I say that. Because couldn't he have done the work right there on the road to Damascus? He has the guy pinned, right? There's lights, action, camera. Gabriel, the archangel, was just kind of rocking out in the background. I mean, we have this guy where we want him. Can't he do the work there in full? Instead, Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up blind now. I want you to go to Straight Street, and then I'm going to go speak to a guy that's not really going to be into this, but this guy needs to then go and lay hands on you. I'm like, Lord, buy a GPS. There's a quicker way to do this, right? But Ananias, for me, as I read this, is such a beautiful picture of the church, right? The second stage of transformation is the church's obedience. It's the church's obedience. God in His magnificent grace, God in His magnificent mercy decides to use us in the redemption process. Jesus is on a mission to save the world, but He chooses to use us in the process. And it is so beautiful and it is so magnificent. And I think there's easier ways for Jesus to do this, but He chooses to use us. And Man, as I was reading this portion of Scripture in the week, the thought that sort of hit me was, and this is not one you think of often when you think about Saul's conversion story, but here is Saul who would become Paul. This is one of the most influential men in Scripture. And the difference between Saul becoming Paul is a man named Ananias. That I'll be honest, if I did a little bit more research, uh, if I did a Chris Burns this week, I probably could have given you a whole history on Ananias and five rock songs that sort of relates to him. Um, (laughs) I I didn't do that this week. So I'm going to tell you, I'm not sure who Ananias really is, right? He is some guy that God calls to go lay his hands on Paul. But if Ananias does not answer the call, If he does not do the simple thing that God puts before him, maybe we don't get Paul the apostle, right? Unbelievable. And I want to encourage you today, and I want to say to you today that God doesn't call Peter. He doesn't call John. He calls Ananias. And a small maybe, as this story might sound, it is a massive moment in Saul or Paul's redemption story. I can actually see Ananias 
many years from that moment sitting in a bar next to a buddy of his, you know, Paul comes through town and it's just the biggest thing ever. And he goes, you're not going to believe this, but I knew that guy when he was Saul and uh, I actually prayed for him and stuff fell out of his eyes. It was me. I was the guy. <laughs> and his buddy goes, yeah, sure, pal. I caught a fish and it was this big. Yeah. <laughs> right? But Jesus is on a mission to redeem the world and he has chosen to use the church to do it. And it is an amazing, amazing thing. He is the carpenter. We are the tools. He is the artist. We are the brushes. He is the author. We are the pens. He is constantly saving you and me by giving us purpose, by giving us a mission, by sending us to where we need to go. It's a beautiful thing. So Acts 9, verses 15 to 19, let's carry on with this amazing story. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument. There it is again. Proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, there's the key, he regained his strength. I, uh, I love this moment when scales fall from Saul's eyes. It reminds me of a moment in the movie The Matrix uh, where Neo opens up his eyes and he says, my eyes are hurting and Morpheus says, that's because you've never used them before, right? I was like, oh, that's a killer line. That, uh, that reminds me of this moment. But we see something amazing happening here and we're going to move into our third stage of transformation. And the third stage of transformation is teaching and healing. Paul has this unbelievable encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus, but then he is given orders to go to this house where our friend Ananias comes to Paul and he explains to Paul what's going on with him. And not only does he explain to Paul what's going on with him, but he lays hands on him and he prays for him. And the Bible says that in this moment of teaching and healing, scales fall from Paul's eyes or Saul's eyes. I, uh, I'm going to tell you right now that I believe many people's transformation story begins and ends on the road to Damascus. Many people have an amazing supernatural encounter with Christ, but they don't get up and go to Straight Street. They don't get up and connected, get connected to a man named Ananias who can teach them what has happened to them and who can pray for them for healing. The Bible says that in this moment, as he goes, as sanctification starts to happen, scales fall from Saul's eyes. Man, I want to tell you today that a lot of us are walking around and we have scales on our eyes still. Yes, the Lord has supernaturally reached us. Yes, we've encountered Him. Yes, we've experienced things in Him and through Him. But your transformation story is not done yet. You need to get into God's Word. You need to allow the Word to wash over you. You need to put yourself in a place where you can receive healing. 
Um, I looked at a photo of myself the other day, and I wasn't thrilled. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to get real with you. It wasn't, wasn't my best moment. I was like, you know, I just don't, I don't particularly like this photo. And I then went into the bathroom, and I looked at myself in the mirror, and I was like, hey, 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 hey. It's like, that guy. Like, I like that guy, right? That guy is good looking. Don't know who this guy is in the photo, right? Two different guys. And um, I was like, let me Google this and see if there's something to this. I was like, I think we look better in the mirror than we look in photos. And yes, that's true. Actually, scientifically, it's true. Okay, check this out. First article I found on Google said this, so it must be true. Um, but when you look at yourself in a mirror, the image is actually flipped. It's a flipped image. You're actually seeing yourself differently to the way others see you or the way you would look in a photo. So what happens is, is you become so familiar. The brain becomes so familiar by what it's seeing in the mirror um, that when you see a photo of yourself, you're disorientated. You're like, hang on, something's off here. I don't know what this is. I know the camera adds 10 pounds, but there's something off in this picture. And as I was reading that, it's just sort of, it was such a cool picture for me of how we are in life, right? I think that sometimes for us, we get to this place where we think we're fine. We think we're okay. We've become comfortable with ourselves. We have become familiar with the things we do and the things we get up to, even though those things are not what God has for us. And it's in God's word that we actually see a reflection of who we should be and what it should look like. It is in those moments of teaching and healing where God reveals to us not only who we are and the changes that need to take place, but He reveals Himself to us so that now we can become transformed into His very image. And He takes us from glory to glory. It is absolutely crucial that we get plugged in. It is absolutely crucial that we find ourselves in a place where we are connected to others through Bible study and we find healing for our souls. And again, I said this in the beginning of the sermon, everything we do at this place is geared towards that. Everything we do. Everything we do is about that. For me, I want to get to a place as a church where when we talk about wins, right, or touchdowns or victories or what it looks like, I don't want it to be anything else other than lives that have been transformed. That is it. How, how do we know we're doing what we're doing? It's not because we're filling buildings all over the country. How do we know we're doing what we're supposed to do? Lives are being transformed. That's how we know what's happening needs to be happening. And it's because of that that everything we do is centered around that. Sunday mornings are awesome. I love them. They're amazing. They're fantastic. But Sunday mornings is a little bit like that road to Damascus. It's an invitation. It's a moment where we pray you will see the light. It's a moment where we pray that you will encounter Christ as you go along your way. But we are praying and we are hoping that you will get up from this place and find your way to Straight Street where Ananias can teach to you and pray for you. It is our hope that you will find your way into a Bible study. You will find your way to a Friday night. It is our hope that you will find your way to a place where real transformation can happen, where Jesus can continue to remove the scales off of your life. Okay, so let's see what happens here. Oh man, we are coming to a riveting conclusion to this thing. Acts 9 19 to 22, um, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. 
all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't the, the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by providing that, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And this man that was beyond redemption, this man that was on a mission to destroy the church, this man that was more wicked than Peter when he denies Christ, this man that deserves nothing but death, now is the one building the church. Can you believe this? Saul the Pharisee becomes Paul the Apostle. Because that is what our God is capable of doing. The fourth stage of transformation is relationship and service. Relationship and service. Notice how right after Saul gets the scales removed from his eyes, he doesn't run out there lone wolfing it by himself, but he spends several days with the disciples. Paul is immediately plugged into community. And uh, man, we've said this week after week, and I'll continue to say it, Christianity is not golf. It is a team sport. Golf is of the devil, right? Uh, <laughs> Christianity is a team sport. And God calls us into relationship. Why? Because iron sharpens iron. There are blind spots in your life. There are things you are not seeing when you stare at yourself in that mirror for hours and hours. We need one another. We need close bonds. We need relationships. We need honesty with one another too. I'll tell you one thing. I, I'm kind of at this place where it's like, let me, let me clarify. A bunch of people coming together and smiling and shaking hands is not relationship, right? It's just not. Relationship is when you can say an honest, truthful thing to a person and that person trusts you enough to receive what you're saying to them. That is what relationship is. And we're not going to get that from an hour on a Sunday morning. We're just not. So we have to put ourselves in a position where we can do life and community together. Last thing I'm going to hit on you or touch on you, our time is running out, is that Paul immediately or Saul immediately jumps into service. He immediately starts preaching the gospel. Paul doesn't in this moment go, oh, whoa, 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 stop the bus. Uh, you guys do realize that days ago, I was persecuting the church and I was on my road to Damascus, right? Immediately, he jumps into action and now he is called and now he is serving and now he is using his gifts for the kingdom of God. I want to tell you that far too often in church, I think we've sort of made serving the final step of your evolution. It's like the summit on the peak of the mountain. It's like, hey man, you go through all this stuff, but when you finally start to serve, now you've arrived. I want to tell you that I don't think it works that way. I think service is a part of what God uses to redeem you. It's a part of what God uses to remove the scales from your life. It's a part of what God uses to transform your life. If you never jump into service, your, your growth is going to be stagnated. And it's amazing how the Bible actually says that as Paul goes around preaching, he becomes more powerful. As Paul steps into his calling, as Paul steps into his gifting, as Paul starts to serve, the Bible says that he actually starts to grow and he becomes more powerful. 
So maybe you're a person in this place that needs to get knocked off of your horse. Maybe that's you. But maybe you're a person in this place that, man, you've been knocked off your horse. You've spent some time with Ananias. You've been to Straight Street a couple of times. But now it's time for you to take the next step in your transformation story, and that is to actually get connected, and that is to start serving the Lord in your gifts and in your talents. And I, be- I promise you, it is in that serving of the Lord that He is going to transform your life, and He is going to take you to the next step. Let's stand this morning, church. Stand with me today. God reaches the unreachable person and turns him into a champion for the church. And we see Paul go from strength to strength as he grows. It is our heart today that you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit that your life can be transformed. So I'm going to ask that you close your eyes with me here for a second. I'm going to pray for all of you together. Father, I want to thank you so much that it's not by might, it's not by strength, it's not by willpower, it's not by us being all super cute and intelligent and smart. But Father, I thank you that it is by your Holy Spirit. So Lord, all we can do is ask, who are you? What is the next step? Where are you taking me? Father, show me truth in my life. So this morning, Father, just like Paul on the road to Damascus, we are doing that. We are humbly asking you to show us what our next steps are in our redemption process. Father, help us and show us and lead us. Lord, I know it's not easy. I know it can be difficult. I know it can be uncomfortable. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you will give us the strength. You will give us the confidence. You will give us the boldness. Show us the next steps. Give us clarity. Bring the Ananiases that we need into our lives, Father, so that we may be who it is that you are calling us to be. There's one final group that I want to pray for this morning. And if you're in this place, and as I was telling the story today, the person you identified with the most was Saul on his road to Damascus. Yes, you've heard about Jesus. Yes, you understand a little bit about what church is all about. But if truth be told, you have not had a relationship with Jesus. You haven't followed Him. You haven't been intimate with Him. You haven't been in that place where He is the Lord and Savior of your life. Well, if that's you today, then I believe your next step is to receive Him into your life. So Father, this morning, I want to pray for all of those, all those people in this place, Lord, that have been on the fence, they've been wondering, they've been thinking, they've been asking, they've been praying, Father. But I thank you today that through your word, you have revealed yourself to us through your Holy Spirit. So Father, I want to pray for those that are ready to take these next steps into their faith. I want to pray, Lord, that you will strengthen them, encourage them, and show them exactly where they need to go and what they need to do. We love you so much, Father. We thank you for this. In Jesus' precious name. And if that is you, the Holy Spirit just gave me even more clarity. So I'm going to tell you exactly what I would like for you to do. If you are that second person that prayed with me this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. Just as you leave this morning, we want to give you a free Bible. We want to give you a little gift to commemorate this amazing moment that you've had on the road to Damascus. And we want to connect with you. Um, We want to disciple you. We want to walk a road with you. So if that's you this morning and that's your next step, I'm going to ask that just as you leave today, receive that free gift from us so that we can connect with you and make sure that you get to where you need to get to. So we love you so much. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I pray that you have a wonderful week. I pray that God will bless you. We will see you next week, same time, same place.
Amen.